In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. So happy you're here today. I've missed everybody. I've been down and out with COVID. For those of you who have had it, I'm sure you're aware it's definitely no picnic. For me, roughly about two weeks. Still hurting a little bit, but trying to get out there and bring some entertainment to anybody. I've had a couple of interesting days while out on COVID. You guys ever notice that when you get sick, sometimes you have some pretty brilliant insights? It seems to me that whenever you're faced with a health issue, you really begin to understand what it is that's important in life. You really get to make sense of the little things that you thought were important were really not that important. When you're laying in bed and you feel like garbage, all of a sudden, the person that was pissing you off, kind of minor. I wanted to talk to you guys today. I'm really excited. I got a, my first new book, the debut, it's coming out, and I'm working on an idea for titles. Originally, I had the terror before the sacred, and then it kind of morphed into the structure of experience. Those are the two going titles that I had had set up for them. I recently sent off the hard copy to my editors. I've heard back from one editor with really inspiring and really good notes. The guy was great. His name is Hugh Barker. If anyone gets a chance and you need an editor, I would highly recommend Hugh Barker. I went to Readsy, which is a site for authors that you can go and kind of piece out your your work, whether you want it formatted or edited or pretty much the whole gambit you can find on that site. It's pretty good. I highly recommend it. Most of you are probably thinking, wow, George, so what's the book about, buddy? Well, it's a great question, and thank you for asking. It is a topic that is true and dear to my heart, especially in chaotic times. 
I think we're moving towards a new way in which the world sees itself. I think we're moving on to a new type of myth. Think back about some of the ancient Greek heroes, the Homeric verses, Ulysses, and the Lotus Eaters, Achilles, all these great mythological adventures that in ancient times were ways for people to relate to the world. And then you can move into like King Arthur and the quest for the Holy Grail. You could even get into J.R. Tolkien and just so many different myths that people throughout the world have sat around a campfire or sat around and, and told stories about the way in which life is. And for so long, we have been operating under these myths that it seems as if we're just repeating, or better yet, we're rhyming the history that came before us. I think once in a thousand years, I'll say, humanity comes upon a new way of living. Humanity finds a new myth to be born. And while it's not incredibly brand new, it has elements of the new brought together with some of the classic motifs that got the human spirit to evolve as far as it has. And let me try to paint you a picture of the foundational myth that I see emerging and let me know what you guys think. I see an evolution of religion. I see a unified understanding that we are one organism, similar to the Gaia concept in that the earth is a mother and those in which grace the earth are its children. But not exactly. More of like we're all part of this one giant organism. The earth grows people like an apple tree grows apples. You didn't come into this world, you came out of it. And when you look across the street, when you look at your neighbor, when you look at the car next to you, when you watch TV, but more importantly, when you see people in person, what you're seeing, wait, let me change that. What you recognize, that's a much better word, what you recognize in other people is that which you recognize in yourself. Let me give you an example of what I mean. There used to be this guy at my work, and I never got along with him. I didn't really understand why, but he just rubbed me the wrong way. You guys know anybody like that? Maybe you got somebody at your work or somebody in your family or somebody at your kid's school or maybe it's somebody at your school, but there's just something about this person and they really bother you. And I couldn't put my finger on it. And for months, you know, I'm like, I just don't like this guy. I don't get it. He was a nice guy. But there was just something about him I didn't like. And one day, one, one weekend, I had sat back and ate like seven grams of mushrooms and just trying to figure it out, which is a pretty good dose to think about, actually. It might be a little high, but... And so I had written down everything that I wanted to think about and... As I was coming down from my trip, like it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. You know why I don't like that guy? Because he's weak. He's a coward. He never stands up for himself. I hate that about that guy. And then 
you know, it was like that same ton of bricks just hit me again. And it says, I'm a coward. I'm weak. I don't stand up for myself. And it made me think, you know, I don't know if, I don't know. I think somehow eating mushrooms is a way for you to communicate with the planet. And so I'll, I'll talk more about that in a minute. But it showed me that what you see in other people is what you see in yourself. And what if you see other people and you don't like something in them, if you can identify what it is you don't like about these other people, then chances are you can identify what it is about yourself that you don't like. You see, it's real hard to look at yourself and say, I don't like this about me. I don't like that about me. It's really difficult to look in a mirror and say, you know what, George? I think you're a big baby sometimes. Or, you know what, George? You don't ever stand up for yourself. It's hard to do that because it's difficult to see what's inside of you. And that's why we have relationships. And that's why when you see other people, they're showing you. They are a mirror to you. They are showing you what's inside you. Does that make sense? Because you can't recognize something you don't understand. But you can recognize what you do. You ever, you ever like seen somebody playing a game or maybe you play a sport and then now you're watching someone play a sport and you see them say say they're a wrestler I was a wrestler so I'm watching this guy wrestle and I see him set up with like a like a left tap left tap and then he shoots like an ankle pick I'm like oh I do that same setup sometimes I can recognize that move because I do that move and then sometimes you watch people stuff and you don't know what the hell they did because you don't recognize that move it's the same thing with style as it is with attitude, as it is with personality. And if you can learn that when something about somebody else bothers you, that's because something about them is showing you what you need to work on. And the, the tr it's true in the opposite sense. It's true in the sense that if you see something good or that you admire about people, that's something that you have inside you and that that's the world telling you to work on that as well. Like, yeah, you can be that too. Do you admire that? That's inside you. I've seen it. And so it's such a gift to be around people. It's such a gift to be upset, to be happy. But to be in relationship with people is where the true gift is. And not only just to be in relationship with them, but to understand why you feel the way you do about these people because it says a lot about who you are it'll help you solve so many problems and in a nutshell that's that's how i began thinking about the book that i'm beginning to write well actually the book that i've wrote and is currently being edited so you're probably thinking to yourself wow the the terror before the sacred Terror before the sacred, eating mushrooms, and learning about yourself by other people. All right, I'm listening, George. How do you get how do you get terror in there though? <laughs> so how do you get to the terror, George? What is this terror before the sacred that you speak of? Well. Let me start off with a few sentences like this. Something sacred has revealed itself to me. 
something sacred shows itself. The sacred dance of wretched hands. The terror before the sacred. It's an offering of sacrifice at the threshold. Have you felt that before? Have you ever been in a situation where you are incredibly, terribly frightened of something so beautiful there's no words for it? That's the terror before the sacred. And it's been described before. It's been described in some ways by Thomas Aquinas, the Nunc Stans, the abiding now. It's this moment that feels like an eternity. I know it sounds contradictive, but for those of you who have felt it, have been in the presence of it, it's a place that all of us strive to get back to. It's this moment where you are one with God, whatever your definition of God is. And that is the terror before the sacred. And it's that moment that I think can heal people. It's that terror, it's the feeling of terror before the sacred that puts everything into perspective. It's the feeling of terror before the sacred that we've forgotten about. You see, we're not these mechanistic cogs that live to be productive to make money for corporations. That's soulless. And for years, way too many years, the last hundred years, last 200 years, we have been being pushed down this road of digital feudalism. I would say ever since Marshall McLuhan, we have been just harnessed and towed behind a jet plane into this world of mechanistic fascism where the theory of interchangeable parts has been applied to every man, woman, and child. And even much more today. If you look at the plans of the big tech technopoly corporations that want nothing more than to narrow you down into a bit. You're just a piece of information. You're just a, a bit that we want to send over the internet. These guys are doomed to fail. And in many ways, I think that they're the sickest people among us. I would classify politicians, bankers, insurance reps, people who have been infected by the love of money. These are the people that are the sickest among us. These are the people that, in a weird way, I think COVID is trying to get rid of. If I can double back for a moment here on the topic of COVID, isn't it interesting? The way in which the world finds a way to balance itself out. I think it's beautiful. A lot of times we ask ourselves why. Hey, why is this happening to me? Or why does this always happen to me? But that's the wrong question. Right? If you ask a stupid question, you get a stupid answer. For all those of you who have ever asked yourself that question, let me tell you the answer to it. When you think little things are happening to you that are bad, when you say, oh man, it's so unfair, that always happens to me, or gosh, this is bullshit, I can't believe it's happening again. You see, you're just seeing the very 
bleeding edge of change. And if something bad probably happens to you, it's just the world trying to find harmony. And a lot of times it seems that you get the short end of the stick, but again, you're just seeing the leading edge because you can't be in someone else's shoes. You can't thoroughly understand what's happening in other people's lives. And a lot of times, a little sharp move to you, maybe a little prick, a little stab, a little move to the short side for you, usually means that things are just shifting on a grander scale. So while you might feel a little bit of uncomfortableness in the beginning, what's probably happening is that you're being set up to change so that you can win later on. It's a great way to look at it, and it's something that's served me well. I think that's what's happening with COVID. Let me go ahead and try and uh, square this here. It's been so top-heavy. You know, for the last 100 years, CEO pay to employee pay has gone up like 500-fold. People at the very top have done everything they can to, to wring out profits and productivity from the people on the bottom. Whether it's an employee or whether it's a third world country, regardless of where these people are squeezing their profits from is irrelevant to them. All they see is a boardroom and numbers. They've completely stripped the humanity out of everything that they possibly can. And in doing so, they've stripped the humanity out of themselves. Have you ever wondered why? Like, look at Jeff Bezos. Like, why do you think he got divorced? Why do you think Bill Gates got divorced? Like, look at these people. These people are so disgusting. They have everything. They're like, they're like a pig in shit. Does that make sense? And they just love it. They're like, yeah, I love being a pig in shit. I'm a pig and I love shit. They're so, it's so sad to me. It's so sad to me. Like, these guys are in their 60s, but they act like they're 16. Can you imagine that? Like, don't get me wrong, it's nice to be young. It's nice to have energy. But imagine waiting till you're in your 60s or your late 50s to act like you're 16. It's sad, right? It's like... It makes me sad. But that's, that's what the world is doing. The world is evening out. And what COVID is doing is, at least from the point of view that I see, is look how many people are calling in sick. People are not showing up. Are people not showing up because they're sick? Are people not showing up because they're sick of working? Are people not showing up because they're sick of getting fucked over? Are people not showing up because they're sick of making a hundred times less than the guy at the top shooting out pictures of him on his boat all day I think it's the I think it's option B I think that the people on the bottom are beginning to see how much power they have and I think there's a higher force at play think about it like this a lot of people are familiar with the eye of providence or the all-seeing eye on in the United States it's that eye at the top of the pyramid right and there's all kinds of mystery schools that talk about the pyramid and People want to be at the pinnacle. People want to be at the top of the pyramid. But how can there be a pinnacle? How can there be a top of the pyramid if there's no base to the pyramid? If you just kicked out one giant block of the bottom of the pyramid, that whole thing becomes really, really unstable. And what happens when you kick out another block? 
Well, I'll tell you what, if you're the guy at the very top, when that pyramid comes falling over, that guy on the top is going to get flung the furthest. Because when there's no base, when there's no foundation, there can be no pinnacle. In fact, the base is much more important than the pinnacle. And everybody at the pinnacle thinks that they're important. They think they're the ones that made it. But they're just the last piece of stone to go on the top. That's all they are. The people on the bottom, the man and woman that get up and go to work every day, those are the heroes. And I think the world is balancing out. I think that if you live anywhere right now, you can see the turmoil. You can see the chaos. You can see the people on the bottom have had enough. And there's not much the people on the top can do. All these ideas about them being powerful and intelligent and smart and capable. You know, the louder they run their mouth, the louder and more obvious it becomes to everybody else that not only can they not do the things they said, but they never deserve to be in that position. Unless, of course, the idea of being in that position is to be punished. Right? Think about that. I know some people that have scratched their way to lower, lower level management. I know some people that have scratched their way to top level executives. And they spend more time with people they don't want to be with than the people they actually do want to be with. I ask you, is that any kind of world you would want to live in? Would you want to be that person? I feel bad for them. And the reason I bring this up, I know I'm kind of going off today, right? I'm all over the board. George, you're all over the board, man. Bring it around, pal. All right, all right, hold on. Here we go. So I think we're seeing all this as a giant explosion, as a giant course correction. And out of this giant explosion, course correction, is this new idea, this new philosophy, and this new almost religious revival type. I, in fact, in my book, I call it the archaic revival. And it's this idea that we're all part of this giant organism. And you might be thinking, well, you know what, George? If we're part of the organism, I'm going to be part of the brain. I don't want to be the big toe. You know what, George? I want to be the mouth. I don't want to be the fingernail. Some of you are probably thinking, you know what I want to be, George? Yeah, I know what you want to be. But listen to it like this, all right? So let me tell you a quick story here. One day, the hands started talking to the feet. The feet started talking to the mouth. And they all gathered around and the hands say, man, we do all the picking. We grab everything. We got to reach out for stuff. We doing all the work over here. And then the feet said, yeah, you know what? We do all the walking. We got to put the shoes on. We got to walk every day. Get a bunch of calluses. And the mouth says, yeah, you know what? I do all the chewing. I got to do all the talking. What's this lazy stomach do? He just sits around and he gets everything the hands grabs. And he gets everything from where the feet walk. And he gets everything that the mouth chews. And so the hands, the feet, and the mouth decide to go on strike. So you know what? We're not doing it anymore. We're not going to do it. The, f the stomach 
gets all the food, he does nothing. So we quit. And a little bit of time goes by. A couple days go by. And all of a sudden, the feet, the mouth, and the hands are God-smacked because they're so weak. The feet can't walk, the hands can't grab, and the mouth can't talk. And then it hits them. The stomach, that's the one who feeds them. You see, they're all doing work. They're just transferring energy around. The hands grab. They use energy to grab things. They put it in the mouth. The mouth chews it. uses energy. And that sustenance, that food goes into the stomach and then the energy is released back to the hands, to the feet, and to the mouth. Like that is us. We are a closed system. And the feet are no less important than the mouth. The mouth is no less important than the hands, the eyes, the ears. We're all in this thing together. And that has to be reflected in the world in which we live. And that's where this idea comes in, this new understanding of a single organism. It doesn't need to be a utopia. It doesn't need doesn't mean we can't judge other people on some levels. We should all be playing at the highest level possible for us to play at. We should be helping the people that need help learning how to play those positions. Because contrary to popular belief, you can't live forever. And you shouldn't want to. That's why you have kids. But then again, look at all these people that have decided, you know what, I don't want to have kids. They got caught up in this idea of a mechanistic world instead of an organic world. Right? Is it a mechanism or is it an organism? Well, the majority of all our friends in big tech will tell you that it is a mechanism. But that's not true. It is true that in order for them to make it a mechanism or see it as a mechanism, they got to take away humanity. They have to take away our ability to see each other as human beings. And that's why they want you in the metaverse. That's why they want you on your phone. That's why they want you on your YouTube channel. That's why they want you in the world of the mechanistic. That's why they're trying to take people out of nature. Because there's a bond you have with nature. You can talk to the trees. You can talk to the insects. You can learn a lot by sitting in your garden and watching the way the wind blows through the trees. You can learn a lot by the way the flowers bloom in the spring. Like, why is it that that plant has to grow to three feet and it always seems like the flowers turn out towards the sun? That's amazing, right? Well, that's telling you how life grows. That's telling you how you grow. The same example we used about seeing things in other people that you can learn from, you can see those same things in the plants around you. You can see those same things in the animals around you. And if you know what to listen for, if you know what to look for, you can talk to them. There's a great story about, uh, I think it was by Jeremy Narby. And he was a, a, uh, a botanist. But I forgot the name of that. What is that called of the people that uh, go down and, and they search the world for medicinal plants? It's, it's a certain type of botanist, I think. I'll remember it in a minute. And so he had went down. Maybe he's an, he's an anthropologist with, a, with a, a second major in botany. Something like that. Something like that. Let's just go with that for now. And he was down in South America. 
and he was meeting with all these different tribes and he had gone into the Amazon and up into Chile and he'd studied so much amazing things and he was with a team of anthropologists and they decided to go way into the Amazon on this particular leg of the trip and they they went way deep in there and they contacted this tribe that no one had made contact with for like 15 or 20 years or something and they befriended the group of anthropologists you know they befriended this tribe and they began speaking to the medicine man there and he sat down with the five anthropologists and was speaking to them and it was getting late and the the medicine man began telling the anthropologists like you know we have a very different way of, of finding the medicinal plants. And the conversation turned to, well, how is it that you find these medicinal plants? Like, how do you know this particular plant cures the venom of uh, a certain type of snake? And the guy laughed and he says, oh, well, because the plants talk to us. The plants tell us what's what. And at that point in time, four of the anthropologists got up and turned in for the night they found that that part of the conversation was going to lead nowhere and they decided to turn it very politely they get up and they walk out and the other guys he's flabbergasted he's like that is amazing can you show me how to do that and the guy starts laughing and he's like I'll tell you but why did your four colleagues get up and walk away when I say I talk to the plants and he says you know I, I can't answer for them but they they tend to be really, these four guys I'm with, they seem to see things so literal and they seem to see things in a way that would be silly to them. But more than that, I think that they're afraid to tell the other people around them that they talk to plants. The medicine man started laughing and he was like, well, how come you didn't get up? And the guy says, I talk to plants all the time. And the medicine man started laughing and he's like, you get it. You haven't lost your soul yet. You still understand. And he says, because of that, let me show you how I talk to plants. And so they get up and they walk out into the canopy a little bit. And they come up on this little clearing and the moon's out so they can see everything. And he, he says, he talks about the snake. We had like a, he says, let me show you how I know this plant cures the venom of I think it was called like the white diamond snake or something. I could be butchering that, but for this particular example, we'll just say it was the white diamond snake. He says the white diamond snake has two white diamonds right on the op on the opposing sides of its head, right back by the little holes where you would grab it. You know, about two inches behind the eyeball. On each side, there's a little white diamond. And that's what the snake looks like. And the anthropologist like okay so how can you tell which plant cures the venom of that snake and they walk up to this little plant that's on the base of a tree and the little ovate leaves are sticking out and he goes look at this plant right here and sure enough they look at the plant and that the leaf it's like a I think ovate is the right word it's kind of like an oval and it looks just like a snake's head and on the back part of the leaves are two little white diamonds. Just the spitting image of what the white diamond snake's head looks like. And he's like, look, there's the plant telling you 
I am the white diamond-headed snakehead. I can cure you from its bite. My bite cures the bite of the snake. And so, you know, it was such an elegant story, and it was so beautiful to me. And the, the medicine man finishes up with, like, that's how the plants talk to us. They're our friends. They're here to help us. And, you know, if you thought about the initial statement of, oh, yeah, the plants talk to me, you could see why those guys got up and walked away because, you know, they don't want to be laughed at. They think it's stupid. But the truth is they're stupid. And you have to be willing to be laughed at. You have to be willing to take chances. Sometimes you get shown the light in the strangest of places if you look at it right. The idea I have about us being one organism. We've forgotten how to talk to the plants. We've forgotten how to see ourselves in nature. And the further we go down this road of technopoly, the further we get away from what it is we're supposed to be. As far away as mechanistic is from an or as far away as an organism is from a mechanism, I think that they are in fact somewhat connected. Have you ever heard people say, "I'm the poles apart from that person," or "We're the poles apart"? Think about that. You know, it's it's like the idea of a magnet. Like if you have a long long magnet. You have a North Pole and a South Pole. But if you cut that magnet in the middle, you get a new South Pole, a new North Pole. You can't get away from opposites. You can't get away from the relationship. We must have a relationship between mechanism and organism. But it must be clear that we as the organism use the mechanism, not the other way around. The people that believe in this mechanistic idea are poles apart from those of us who believe that we're an organism. And that's what's balancing out. We've gone way too far in the mechanistic part and we're rebalancing to the organism part. The poles apart. We're finding a middle ground now. Let me share with you too another story that I think is pretty beautiful. And it's about time. The same way the anthropologists got to see the world in a different way by talking to plants. I hope that this story will show you a different way to experience time. Do you know what sacred time is? Have you ever felt... I want you to think back to the beginning of this podcast when we were talking about the terror before the sacred. What is a festival? Not that you need to be religious... However, people that are religious tend to experience this particular... Hmm, how do I put this? There's a way to experience time that everybody can do, but almost nobody does. And that is to experience time the way that people that came before you experience time. I know what you're thinking. You're like, dude, what are you talking about, George? I can't experience the exact same time as someone who lived a thousand years ago. I say bullshit. I say you can. And that is what, in fact, a rite of passage is. That is what a festival is. That is you getting to experience the exact moment that someone 
a thousand years ago got to experience. In my book, I go into the Eleusinian mysteries. Are you guys familiar with those? The Eleusinian mysteries were... I'll just give you a quick little once-over. It was this unbelievable pilgrimage that was taken by kids and adults and young adults and old adults and slaves and emperors. The Eleusinian mysteries, they were not allowed, they were they not deny anybody. Everybody could go and experience them. And the word on the street is it was a couple days and the beginning was I think it was you were shown the death of Persephone and then the reuniting with Demeter so it was a symbolic death but that was no one thoroughly understands or truly knows what in fact the secrets were at the Eleusinian Mysteries but it's a pretty good bet to know that it helped people deal with death. In fact, when you read the accounts of those who had gone and been initiated into Eleusis, then you understand that they came back with this feeling of not being afraid to die. They came back with this feeling of this is just the beginning. And it was this thing that united them. It was this thing that brought everyone together and people the truth is the Eleusinian mysteries had gone on for like 2,000 years and you could in some books if you look it up if you're oh so inclined you should probably read my book the terror before the sacred but you can read plenty of other books about them and you can read the accounts of people who went through the ceremony and they're all the same you see, that's the purpose of the ceremony. That's the purpose of the festival, is it never changes. And when you go into that festival, when you go into that ceremony, then you are entering that particular chamber the exact same way that someone who came before you entered it. You are experiencing it the very first time, the same way the person before you experienced it for the very first time. It's brand new although it's old. You can't grasp it, but you can never get rid of it. Does that make sense? And there's all kinds of ceremonies like that. People go around, I live in Hawaii and they have a bond dance festival. And it's a celebration where everyone gets together and dances. But that ceremony is a ceremony that's been taking place for I don't even know how long. And you can see it. You can see couples that, you can see a relationship start there that becomes a marriage. And there's people that go there that, oh yeah, I met my wife here. And you can see young, a, young, a young gentleman dancing with a girl. Go, look at them. Look at them. I bet you they get married. You see, that is a different form of time. That is sacred time. That is time in which you get to experience it. It's almost like time traveling versus the time when you wake up, you get in your car and you go to work. There's nothing sacred about that time. That's time that has been stolen from you. 
and people are selling back to you. That's profane time. And that's what the mechanistic world does, is it makes things profane. Only an organism, only something bigger than yourself can participate in something that's sacred. Where there's, there can be no sacred where there is no sacrifice. And too many people today sacrifice for the company. They sacrifice for the corporation. They sacrifice so that the people on the very top can have a giant boat and go to St. Bart's, bang hookers. The same, the same guy that's out there banging hookers, what do you think his daughter thinks of him? What do you think Jeff Bezos' kids think about him? Does that guy even have kids? They probably hate him. On my, I live on a, in Hawaii, and in, I live on Oahu, and there's an island outside of here called Lanai, and it was recently bought by um, Larry Ellison. And you hear some interesting stories. Just to give you an idea, this guy bought the Four Seasons and made it his house. Just think about how crazy that is. I'd actually gone, I've, I've gone there and I've seen, I've stayed at that place before. It's gargantuan. It looks like a, a shopping mall but nicer. He's like, I'll just make this my house. The guy has a boat that's like the same size as an aircraft carrier. He parks it over here in Oahu sometimes. You know what else he does? He's got a numbering system for people that can talk to him. If you're a five, you're not allowed to look at him. If you're a four, you can look at him, but you can't talk to him. If you're a three, you can look at him and greet him. If you're a two, you can talk to him on a level that is superficial. And if you're a one, you can call him. You know, his son is a four. Think about that. What's it, what is it, what's it feel like to have all the money in the world, to own an island and own an aircraft carrier? And then to tell your son he can't even look at you. What a giant piece of shit. Right? That, that is so sad to me. Would you, would you rather be that? Is that what you want? You want to have all the money in the world? Have nothing? How many people do want that though? In fact, why do we celebrate people like that? All over TV, what do you see? Real housewives, big yachts, nice cars, people all jacked up. Like what, what kind of world do you think we're going to get when we put that all over TV? What kind of world are we going to get when we emphasize, hey, here's what's important. Why is there nothing beautiful on TV? Right? Why is all the music just like, I'm, look, there's still great music out there, don't get me wrong. But the commercialization, the commodification, it has stripped the beauty. It has stripped the very fiber out of the nutritious world in which we should be eating from. What's wrong? with putting someone beautiful on TV 
that is wholesome? What's wrong with putting someone on TV who stands up for what's right? What's wrong with putting someone on TV who is an incredibly hardworking person that maybe doesn't have everything? You know, what's wrong with that? Who are these people that want to put on TV just this garbage? It makes me think. It makes me think. Who are the gatekeepers? Who are they? I may have told you this story, but let me run this through, through this one again. I know a couple guys who are brilliant writers. They're beautiful. They're not only beautiful writers, they're beautiful humans. And they had written this story that was so beautiful. And it was like a Christmas story. You guys ever seen that? It's just like this. It follows the hero's journey. You know, you come up on adversity. You hear the call. You decide it's too much for you. You can't do it. But then you meet a hero. Then you meet a, a mentor. And that mentor shows you the way to do it. He can't walk through the door, but he can show it to you. And he does. And then you walk through it. And you're forever changed. That's the hero's journey. And these guys wrote this story that was beautiful. But when they submitted it, they sold the script, they submitted it to this old goat. And this old goat said, you know what? This is ridiculous. This guy should get divorced. His kid should die. Like, imagine taking something beautiful and saying, you know what we have to do to this thing? We have to make it garbage. We have to make this ugly and disgusting. Like, that's being done on purpose. Like, think about that. This old goat. This old, ridiculous goat. And I don't mean greatest of all times. I mean like, you know, <laughs> one of the money changers. You know what I mean? One of these guys. Like they want nothing more than to just put hate and anger and just disgusting things out in the world. Like they love that. They love it. Because they're the money changers. And the money changers love everything that's disgusting. Because they're disgusting. I could keep going, but I think I'm going to cut this one short. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. So that was a journey. We started off uh, talking about my book. We ended up on some money changers. But I think we solved some of the world's problems right here. And uh, I'm going to be back tomorrow with a little bit more about... I'm going to give you guys a, uh, the beginning of my book. I'm going to go ahead and... Uh, See if you guys can give me some feedback and let me know what you think. And as always, guys, if you want to reach out to me, you want to be on the podcast, or you just want to send some messages my way or some criticisms. I love criticism. You know, I always want to get better. So reach out to me at G-E-O-R-G-E-P-M-O-N-T-Y at gmail.com. That's George P. Monty at gmail.com. Send me a line and let me know if you want to hook up, get on the show, or if you have anything you want to talk about, let me know. All right. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances... I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. 
I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true, but you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.